Hey, before I open up the word of God and talk about the unstoppable church, let's have a word of prayer together. Lord, I do uh, pray as I did just a few minutes ago for our country, for this world. I pray for safety for as many people as possible and for an end to this virus. And Lord, I pray for our church that even though we're not meeting together today, there's a love in our body. There's a love in our fellowship. We're a church family and nothing can destroy that because the church is unstoppable. And as we open up your word, God, I pray that we would open up our hearts to you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I heard that Eric Tonis was here last week and did a great job, but we're going to jump back into the book of Acts. And as you know, the book of Acts is all about the birth and growth of the New Testament church. And we're in chapter 4 and talking about the church under attack. The church is growing so quickly. New Testament believers probably thought, it's amazing this church is going to take over the world. Thousands of people coming to faith in Christ. But Satan had other plans. And the church is under attack. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, even if you're at home, wherever you're at. Turn to Acts chapter 4, and we're going to look at this passage. The bottom line is this. And we looked at this a couple of weeks ago. We just started to open up this passage, but we needed to have another week to take a look at chapter 4 because it's a transitional time in the church. The bottom line is this. The church experiences its first persecution, its first attack, as it spreads the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus informed his disciples these attacks would happen as belie- and believers should adopt the biblical strategy to successfully face opposition. That's what I want you to have today. A strategy for facing opposition. Jesus told us that in this world we will have tribulation. But take courage. What a great word for us today. Even with the coronavirus all around us. Take courage. Jesus has overcome the world. Jesus will never leave us, never forsake us. You know, we talked about the timeline of the book of Acts. Jesus gave his final instructions in Acts 1. Then he ascended to heaven in Acts chapter 1 with the disciples watching him being taken up into a cloud. Then the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Tongues as of fire, that mighty rushing wind. And the church was born and God took up residence in the hearts and lives of believers. And Peter gives his first sermon, 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. Then a lame man is healed at the temple and there's a stir and a crowd gathering. Peter gives his second sermon and 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. The church must have been excited. Can you imagine that kind of growth here at Riverview Church? Can you imagine it? Thousands coming to faith. The church is the talk of the Jerusalem town. But it's in the midst of this excitement that the first attack comes in chapter 4. Peter and the other apostles are put in jail. And they get an opportunity to witness to the Jewish leaders. And we talked about this two weeks ago. I love Peter's words, his boldness. It's powerful. He says this, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The centrality of Jesus. And church, that's what we need today in our lives. Be centered on Jesus, that you know in your heart, Jesus is number one. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. 
doesn't matter what the cares of this world are. The virus is going around. That your focus is on Jesus. Your focus is on him. And the promise that he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. We talked about this. Better to be rejected for telling the truth than accepted by others when we tell a lie. See, the truth is this. There's no other name. No other name except Jesus. And I love what it says in the very next verse in the text. We talked about this. It may be a challenge for us. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, uneducated, common people, ordinary people, yet they did extraordinary things for God. The leaders were astonished, but then they recognized that these disciples and followers of Jesus had been with Jesus. They'd been impacted by the life of Christ. And we talked about the need for us to recognize that God loves using ordinary people. And the sad thing is, they saw the lame man there. They saw the church was growing. They couldn't produce the body of Christ. He'd been resurrected. But verse 17, a sad verse, in order that it might not spread any further among the people, they warned them not to share the name of Jesus, to talk about Jesus anymore. But I love the response of the disciples. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you be the judge. They said, hey, we have to talk about Jesus because we follow a higher authority. And this is the one time in God's word where it tells us that we have the opportunity to disobey the authority around us when it tells us to disobey God. When that happens, we're to obey a higher authority. And that higher authority is God. We have to speak of what we've seen and heard. And here's some strategies for overcoming opposition. I want to give you the first one. It's this. Don't be surprised or discouraged by opposition. Don't be surprised or discouraged by it. Jesus said it will happen, church. It will happen. It's a spiritual battle out there. And Satan would like nothing more for, for us to think that there is no battle. He would love for us to think that there is no spiritual battle going on. But we know that there is a spiritual battle. It's spiritual warfare. Don't be surprised by it. Don't be discouraged by it. In fact, if the church is meeting opposition, that tells me that the church is doing some right things. That they are at the front line of this spiritual battle. So church, don't be surprised by opposition. Don't be discouraged by it, but realize this is an opportunity for there to be a distinction between light and darkness, for us to shine God's light into darkness. See, the opposition wants a few things. Their opposition is much more interested in the status quo than the word of God. They don't want the power of God's word to be directed at the problems that are around them, especially for those people who have some power. They want to stay in power. They want the status quo to remain. That's what's happening here. The Jewish leaders and Peter was, and the disciples, uh, Peter was meeting with the Sanhedrin. 
They were a council of 71 people. And a majority of the Sanhedrin were Sadducees. Sadducees were a wealthy, liberal, religious group in Israel. In fact, the Sadducees only believed in the Pentateuch. They didn't accept the rest of the Old Testament. They were liberal in their theology. They didn't believe even in the resurrection. That's why it's been said that the Sadducees were, here it is, sad you see. Because they didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead. Uh, That hope wasn't there for them. And they were often in conflict with another group you may be familiar with called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a very legalistic group. They accepted the whole entire Old Testament and were often opposed to the liberal views of the Sadducees. But the Sadducees were wealthy. They had a majority of seats at the Sanhedrin. So they controlled a great deal of what happened in Israel. They wanted the status quo. They didn't want anything to change. And I want to tell you, that is true today. There are forces in our country, in the world today, who don't want the message of Jesus to spread. Don't be discouraged. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, like Peter said, by the fiery trial when it comes. We're not to be surprised by that. We're to remember the words of Jesus, that he has overcome the world. See, that's what Peter and the disciples had in their hearts, the reality of Jesus in them. They had been with Jesus, and they found something not only worth living for, but we said it before, something worth dying for. It's so true. Church today, we need to have that confidence. Here's another thing the opposition does. It, it, it not only doesn't want a change, it wants to keep the status quo in power, but it really doesn't have any acceptance of the miraculous. We see that here. Here's a lame man standing in front of them. They knew the lame man was the same person that was laying at the temple steps. They knew it was the same person. The text says that. But they wouldn't accept the miraculous. They didn't accept it. They saw the man who was healed standing beside the disciples. And the leaders had nothing to say in opposition. But they wouldn't accept the miraculous. And church, I think it's a great challenge for us to be a church that believes that God is able to do the miraculous. We, we say it here often, God's not obligated to, but he's able to. People ask me often, Mel, how do I pray for someone who's sick? How do I pray for that person? Pray in this way, believing that God is able to heal that sick person, but not obligated to. That you have 100% confidence that our God has the power to heal. See, if we don't believe that, we are calling ourselves believers in God, but practically living as atheists. We don't want to be like that. We want to be a church that believes in the power of God to not only do the miraculous like healing a lame man, but to do an even greater miracle. And that miracle is changing the heart of an unregenerate person. A person that is dead, like Ephesians 2 says, a a person that's dead in their trespasses and sins. But by grace can be saved. But by God's grace, not by works, like Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, not by our works, 
not by good deeds, but by God's grace, that person can be changed. I'm reminded of uh, what happened in Luke chapter 10. 70 people were sent out to do the work of the Lord. And I love what it says in Luke chapter 10. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, he said, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. See, we believe in a God who can do the miraculous, who can take a person like me and like you a person that was heading for a Christless eternity and by his power and by his grace change my eternity, change my heart, adopt me into his family and to become part of the church, the unstoppable church. It's a powerful reality. See, in the book of Acts, we see God doing extraordinary miracles through the apostles. It was an amazing outpouring of God's power, miracle after miracle as the church is born and takes root in Jerusalem. And I've met people who are doing the work of the Lord and sometimes we think it's all up to us. It's all up to our ability and our power, but we need to realize it's not. Others think that God does it all. Hey, if God wants to save the world, he doesn't need you. But God has called us into the process. God has called ordinary people like you and me, church, to change the world. That's what was happening in Acts chapter 4. Thousands come into faith in Christ. Peter gave his sermon. God used it to change the lives of thousands. God will use your efforts and your gifts and your abilities. I call it this divine cooperative where God and the church work together to make a difference for eternity. God has chosen to use you. Don't miss the opportunities you have in front of you to make a difference in spite of the uh, opposition that you may encounter. See, authentic ministry is God working through his servants and church. That's what we need to see ourselves as. Servants. God, my life is yours. Here it is. Use it in ways that only you can. That's exactly what Peter and John and the other apostles were doing. They didn't care about their safety anymore. They just cared about doing the work of God. And saying that, I need to also say, they still used wisdom. They didn't go to places that would mean certain death for them. Just like Jesus withdrew when the Pharisees wanted to stone him in John chapter 10. We still use wisdom. But in using wisdom, we're not afraid because we know that what we're doing is powerful and life-changing. It's God working through his servants. So going back to the opposition, here's another characteristic of the opposition. There's no consistent logic about the supernatural. Uh, they claim to believe in God, but don't believe that he can do a miracle like healing this lame man. They didn't want to accept it. See, as a church, we need to believe in a God 
who does the miraculous, who can do what man cannot. And yet the leaders back in chapter 4, they didn't want it to spread any further. They wanted to stop it. If you believe in a God, leaders of Jerusalem, believe that he can do the miraculous. Here's another characteristic of the opposition. No willingness to accept the good resulting from God and his word. They didn't accept the good things that were happening. They didn't look into the reality of the resurrection. The thousands of people were coming to faith in Christ. And there will be people that you will encounter that no matter how much evidence there is, they will not accept God and his word. No matter how much evidence is there, they refuse to accept it. I've met people like that. And maybe you have as well. But our task is to still share the word. This past week, uh, a group of the elders here at Riverview Church and I went to uh, what's called the Shepherds Conference up in Santa Clarita, California. And there were 5,000 pastors and church leaders there. And we were staying at a hotel about 10 minutes away from where the conference was being held. And uh, when we came back after the second night, we were staying there for two nights, there was a young man at the desk by the name of Alec, and I greeted him and said hi to him, and there was a riddle that he had placed on the counter of the hotel. And it was this riddle, and maybe you know it. The riddle was, it's as light as a feather, but you can't hold it for long. And I thought about it, and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe it's something like a thought, and I said that. A thought. And he said, no, no, that's not it. Phil Larson, who piggybacked on my answer, said, your breath. And the guy behind the counter, his name was Alex, said, you're right, it is. Here's a treat for you. And he pulled out all these great cookies for Phil, who got the answer right. And I said, wait a minute. He kind of tagged on to my answer. I deserve a cookie too. And Alec and I, we kind of joked about it for a while. The next morning when we got up to check out, uh, the guys were heading out to the car. We were a little late getting to the conference because uh, we knew that there was an accident. We could see it on our phone on the way to the conference. And they were heading to the car. And I said, guys, I got to check out. So Alex, Alec was there in the morning again. And I was talking with Alec. And I said, man, you were here last night. Now you're here again this morning. You work a lot of hours. And he goes, yeah, actually I do. But what are you guys in town for? I said, we're here for a pastor's conference. So I said to him, do you go to a church? What kind of church do you go to? Do you go to church? He said, no, I don't go to church. And I said, why not? You got to go. He goes, no, no, that's all right. I said, no, you should check it out. Find a church. He said, you know, actually, I used to be a youth pastor, but now I have a more liberal view of what the beliefs of mankind are and what would be acceptable. And I said to him, you know, I just want to affirm the authority of Jesus and what he said. And I knew that I didn't have much time because the guys were waiting for me out in the car and I had to go. And I said, thanks, Alec, for uh, the hotel. We had a great experience. And I walked away thinking, oh, man, I wish I could have said more. And I was feeling guilty about it in the car. And I began to think, there's probably a mom and dad. I asked him, where are you from? He said, Arkansas. Grew up there in a Baptistic church. And I knew there was probably a mom or dad praying that someone would touch the heart of their son. And I was feeling guilty about it. And I got a text from the hotel that said, how was your experience? And I thought it was just a generic text. So I answered it and I said, it was great. Thank you so much. We had a great time at the hotel. And a response came back that said, 
Hey, you're welcome. Glad you stayed here, Alec. And I thought this was my chance that God was giving me to respond to Alec. He was giving me a second chance. I felt like I had blown it by not saying enough at the front desk. So I texted Alec. I said, Alec, it was great meeting you. I just want to give you a very familiar but powerful reminder. It's in John 3.16. And I said it this way. For God so loved Alec that he gave his only son that if Alec believes in him, he will not perish but have everlasting life. I said, Alec, you have a tremendous, tremendous potential. And my prayer is that these words would sink into your heart. And he texted back and said, thanks for your compassion. I'll, I'll, I'll consider what you've written me. Have a great day, Alec. And you know, I, I want to challenge all of us. There are times when we might have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. And we don't quite do it the way we want to. But I believe God will open up another opportunity and another opportunity. And we can learn from those experiences and look for opportunities to be a light for Christ wherever you're at. Because the stake is high. It's so high. It's all about eternity. So church, don't miss those opportunities like I did. But God gave me a second chance. And in spite of the opposition, be a light for Christ. Here's the second thing I want you to remember. It's this. Keep remembering where absolute authority is found. Absolute authority is found in God, right? Our actions in the text should always be motivated by the plans God has given to us. Like the apostle said here, hey, should we obey God or you? You be the judge. We're always motivated by this higher authority, by the plans God has for us. And church, I want to challenge you with this. Be consistently reinforced by your own personal experiences. I love what it says in Philippians 2. It says, if there's any joy in Christ, any joy at all, and of course, the, the tone of the passage there in Philippians 2 is, of course there is. We're to have a joy about being found in Christ, about knowing Jesus and take the word of God and your own experiences and the joy God has given you, even in the midst of trials like we're experiencing now, that we're in good hands, that God is with us. He is always with us. He's a sovereign God, always in control. And he's the God who opens up opportunities for us as a church to make a difference in this world. Look for those opportunities. Look for those opportunities to share Jesus with others and be strongly encouraged by the fact that our God never fails. Ultimately, our God never fails. That's what the word of God tells us. He ultimately never fails. There'll be times when you'll wonder, God, why didn't you work it out differently? God, why did this happen? My daughter was planning to be married on April 25th. And we are looking forward to that day. We were planning for it. Everything was going great until the coronavirus hit. We have a whole bunch of relatives, including my father-in-law and mother-in-law, my wife's parents, who live in Germany. And we're planning to come and be here for the wedding. But as you know, they've put a 30-day travel ban on people coming from Europe to the United States. 
And that's put this entire wedding on hold. We're not sure exactly what we're going to do, but we think we're going to have to change our plans. But God's in control. And we were talking about that with our daughter, who was a bit discouraged by the fact that this situation has developed during her planning for her wedding and could technically impact one of the sweetest days of her life. We kept reminding her, Mandy, God's in control. God's going to work this out. Trust him. This might even turn out to be better. And we started going over all these options that we have in front of us and it began to lift her heart as she realized, you know what? Yeah, our God's in control. It's going to work out. We don't see the exact answer now, but we know in time it's going to work out. And we know there are people that are going through much more serious problems than a wedding that may have to be rescheduled. And I want to encourage you, keep your eyes on the Lord. It could be a life-threatening illness that you're facing. It could be a financial struggle. Keep your eyes on the Lord. He will help you through it. The people of God will help you through it. That's what I love about Riverview Church. All these different ministries helping others. And you know, it's like what Jesus said. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, Jesus said, for my sake, it's then that you'll find it. That's really what ministry is all about, my friends. That our God never fails. That we can trust him. Even in the midst of opposition and attacks, criticism by your friends, keep your eyes on the Lord. Here's a third strategy. Be encouraged by the joy of following Christ in community. When you look at the text... It's really powerful what happens when we look at verse 24. It says this, you know, they were released. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. This is what happened in verse 24. And when all the believers heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and why did the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. But you know what? They all failed. No one stops the plan of God. And when the disciples shared what God had done, they rejoiced together with other believers. There was a joy in following Christ in community. And I know it's a bit ironic that I'm preaching on that today when the church here is empty, not one person in the seats. But I want you to know there's a power when it comes to fellowshipping in community, of walking with Christ in community, of being able to share what God is doing with other believers and rejoicing with them. There's a power in that. Church, I want to challenge you. Riverview Church, I want to challenge you to love the church. Young people that may be listening today, love the church. It's God's instrument to change the world. And our desire is more than anything to lift up the name of the most powerful life that ever lived on the earth, to lift up the name of the God that created everything you see around you and to come together 
All of us, people saved by God's amazing grace, people changed by the power of God, and kings and rulers and leaders may plot against the church, but we trust God. We trust God today. We hold our heads high. We are bold about our faith. We believe in the word of God and his message without apology. We believe this because we choose to follow the one who died and rose again. Church, there's a joy in being part of the church. I hope you sense that. I hope you sense there's a joy. Just like here in Acts chapter 4, they had been arrested. They were challenged not to share anymore. I'm sure there were other threats given. But they went back to other believers and rejoiced together. And we're going to see this in later passages in the book of Acts. That the disciples rejoiced that they could suffer like Jesus suffered. Or at least get a taste of the suffering that Jesus experienced. It helps us to identify with what Jesus went through for us. That brings me to the next point, church. It's this. Hold fast to the faith you have in our awesome God. Hold fast to your faith. As I look at the text, it says this in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of these things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They were sharing together. Why? Because they trusted God. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Church, we have an awesome God. He is an awesome God, all-powerful He knows us by name. He knows the days that we will live before we live them, the Bible says. And I I believe with all my heart that the focus of our praise and our faith today should be on this awesome God, who God is. Our God is awesome. He's the creator of everything. The creator of everything. I was watching this week a documentary on the lunar landing by Apollo 11. And this spaceship that made it it to the moon and back. Neil Armstrong stepping on the moon. First human ever. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. How excited we were to step on the moon. And I was reminded how tiny that moon is compared to the universe that God has created by his power. If you have any doubt in the power of God, every time you see the moon, it should remind you of God's power. But beyond that, the 400 billion galaxies out in space that God has created by his power, who God is. And it leads me to the next focus of our faith and praise, what God has done. More than creating 400 billion galaxies, this same God humbled himself as a little baby boy, didn't love us from a distance, but took on flesh, lived a life without sin, sharing with us how to be right with God and modeling for us how to live for God and then giving his life 
for us on a cruel, bloody cross for you and for me. And Hebrews tells us that he endured the cross, despising the shame because of the joy that was set before him. The joy of knowing that you and I would be part of the body of Christ, the church, redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Our sins paid for by this God who loved us all the way to the cross. And then lastly, church, the focus of our faith and praise has been most clearly revealed in God's word, what I'm holding in my hands today. Church, I want you to love the word of God, the wisdom of it, that as you open it up, that every day you would endeavor to take time to open up the word of God and find out more about this God who is awesome, who loved you to the cross and is with you every step of the way. That's what happens here in Acts chapter 4. The church will be attacked again. There will be challenges that the church will face in the book of Acts. But they weren't discouraged or surprised by the opposition. They faced it head on. And the church remained unstoppable. And that needs to be true of Riverview Church today. Church, may we join together in a unity that's even closer than the one we have now. I want to tell you, church, I'm so thankful for the unity we have at Riverview. I brag about what God is doing here all the time. The unity that we have, the amazing people that God has brought to this church, people that are just looking at Jesus and wanting to find out more about him. They have a hungry heart for the gospel. And we see God changing lives time after time, growing us up to be more like him. Riverview Church, we have an awesome opportunity to be a light in this world. We have an awesome opportunity like the early believers did in spite of the opposition to lift high the name of Jesus, to not be ashamed, but to boldly proclaim the answer that this world needs to hear. That is Jesus Christ and the amazing news he brought to this world. Church, we love you. Have a great week. We know this is a change for us, as I'm sure it will be for you. But perhaps use this time at home to gather together with your spouse and kids if they're home with you. Or even alone to get into the word of God and draw nearer to God this week than you were last week. To see God growing you in your faith. To become become bolder about what you believe in and to become more confident about this awesome God, who he is, what he's done and how he has revealed himself in the word of God. Church, we love you. Look forward to seeing you soon. And let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you again for the example of these early believers who in the face of opposition were unashamed And they boldly proclaimed your name. Jesus, we love you. We love you today. And we pray, God, that as we see you work in only ways that you can, that you would continue to use us to make a difference for you. Jesus, we love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. God bless you, church. 
elbow bumps and waves. All right, have a great week. Live it all for him.